following podcast contains information and opinions that are solely the views of the hosts and guests and are not intended to represent employers, organizations, or other entities with which the participants may be affiliated or associated. We hope you enjoy Military Historians or People Too. Hey guys, there he is. sorry How you doing? about that. No problem, oh, man. It's all right. <laughs> Tate, I'm Bill. It's good to meet you. I know we, I don't hey, think good we've to meet met you. before. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for doing this. Sure. So, sorry about sorry about the time thing. No problem. So, no, that's uh, all right. No worries, because you know this this podcast requires no prep. We're just going to ask you questions. Yeah, kind of thing. You could, you know, we could call you and, and get on with you five minutes, and you could still do the do the interview. So perfect. How you doing, man? I haven't seen I haven't seen you in person in a long time. I know it's been too long. It's been too long. I'm hanging in there. I'm uh, I'm chairing the department, and I'm chairing. I guess what would be the equivalent of a campus senate sort of thing. I'm faculty governance something or other so i'm not busy <laughs> did you forget to duck i mean what what happened there yeah there are so many people ahead of me in line for both of these things but they must be better at dodging <laughs> i need to take lessons yeah yeah because you you really did get yourself into like doing a ton of research and taking on the admin at the same time yeah it's been a lot <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah, wow. I've learned that I don't enjoy admin. That's what that's been my learning experience. Yeah, I think Brian it's... Brian's had the same experience as our vice chair. Yeah, uh, that's it. That'll but my... he has done an outstanding job. Thank you. Really but has. it'll be I mean, it'll be my ending. Job. It'll be my ending point. But, I, but I, I will never take chair. I don't fear, do it. I fear it's taken at yeah. least five days off his life. Yeah, I I think that's that's probably uh probably true. So you know, gotta live gotta live with that. Well, Brian, let yeah. me do my shout outs real yeah, quick. Yeah, go for it, going. go for it. All right, modern scholar Phil Shackelford's podcast. Check that out. Uh we're talking with Phil, I think, next week actually. Yep. And uh history behind the news, Adele Ali always doing good stuff there. Uh Kelly DeVries, Bowen Blade, check that out. Uh all university presses, of course, please uh, buy university press books, get them from their websites if you can. And, and of course, a uh, big hello to our friends out at the ranch in Lawrence, Kansas at the University Press of Kansas. And a special shout out to uh, Haley Hasek, Amber Batura, Janet Valentine, and Heather Sturr. Uh, Heather Sturr, friend of the pod. Hasek is going to be a, a future friend of the pod because we're talking to her pretty soon. But we were on a panel together at the Midwest American Culture Association, Pop Culture Studies Association meeting in Chicago last weekend. We did a panel on the Vietnam War and material culture, consumerism, things like that. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So uh, shout out to them and thanks for them for for agreeing uh, to do that with me. So that's all I got. I've got nothing today. Um, No shout outs, but, uh, you know, hope everyone's doing well. So, yeah. so I'm going to get right into uh, introducing our guest. Um, our guest today is Tate Keller, and uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Tate for, I think we met at the International Society for First World War Studies back in 07, same place That's I met right. Adam Sype. And I remember Tate was employed at the time, and he bought us all a beer because he was employed. Because he was um, employed. And, wow. Yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the never large, forgotten The large that. S, right? Yeah. The large he's a good S. guy. Love it. <laughs> but um, so Tate Keller is associate professor of history and chair of the Department of History at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. 
He is also the former director of environmental studies and sciences at Rhodes. Tate received his BA in history from the University of Rochester and earned his MA in German and European studies from Georgetown University. He went on to also take his PhD in history at Georgetown. Tate's first book, Apostles of the Alps, Mountaineering and Nation Building in Germany and Austria, was published by UNC Press in 2016. In 2018, he co-edited Environmental Histories of the First World War with Richard P. Tucker, J.R. McNeil, and Martin Schmid. Cambridge did that one, and it went on to win a uh, Distinguished Book Award in 2019 from the Society for Military History. Tate's second book, A Global Environmental History of the Great War, is under contract with Cambridge University Press. Tate's work has been supported by a plethora of prestigious grant organizations, including the Rachel Using Carson Center. He, I know, well, it's honestly, this is probably the most impressive list of anyone we've had on thus far. Um, so Rachel Carson Center for Environment and Society, American Council of Learned Societies, Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, National Endowment for the Humanities, Austrian Federal Ministry of Science and Research, German Academic Exchange, and that's not all of them. I left some out. Tate has given talks in Africa, India, Turkey, Germany, England, and other sites around the world. And when he is not busy being a scholar or a department head, Tate is a nationally certified instructor with the Krav Maga Alliance, and he teaches at Endurance Krav Maga in Memphis. So uh, a yeah, true Renaissance man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cool. So welcome. Welcome, Tate. Thanks so much for that introduction. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I feel like with you, I can say I, I knew you when, um, yeah. you know, back when <laughs> back when you were you were just doing, you know, one year stints at places. And now you've gone on to uh, to to really do well for yourself. So unfortunate. Uh, glad, glad to have you. Hey, on. Do, you do you remember that you get you get that first job? And we've had a couple of people say this. I think Susanna Ural did, Brian. You know, you get that first like either tenure track or first like your annual contract job. Right out of grad school and you just feel like you're a millionaire. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm flush. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> no longer on that graduate student stipend. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm gonna get good ramen noodles now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, hey, I, I did not do any shout outs at the beginning, but um, I'm going to throw one in here because, uh, you know, Tate, this is a dog friendly podcast. Bill and I uh, both okay. both uh, have dogs that we adore. And uh, Tate's uh, kind of, you know, companion for a decade was uh, his name was Tucker, right? Yep. Oh, yep. you had a Tucker. And, wow. Yep. So do we. And uh, and Tucker passed away, what, about a year and a half, two years ago? About a year and a half ago. Yeah. So uh, I know that was tough for you. So a shout out to Tucker. Yeah. You can uh, you send us a picture of him or I'll steal one off Facebook. We'll post a uh, we'll post a picture of uh, of Tucker. Yeah, yeah he's uh, across yeah. the rainbow bridge. Yep. But um, Tate, let's start off. Just um, tell us where you're from, what your parents <clears throat> did, what you uh, you know, how you how you found yourself uh, getting into history. Yeah, I grew up up in upstate New York. But far upstate New York, a little tiny town outside of Rochester called Newark, like New Jersey, but not. But not. We had a lot more cows. <laughs> Our claim to fame is that we were, we were along the Erie Canal. So we had, yeah, we had some. That was it. That was it. And apparently roses. We used to be big into roses back in the day. Uh, and I went close to home. I went to the University of Rochester. I had originally planned to do Navy ROTC and go into the Navy. And I started out as a chemical engineering major. Really? And then I took chemistry and that took care of that. <laughs> uh, I always loved history. I just, uh, I loved the storytelling and the stories. And I, I just enjoyed those classes so much. And 
I took a class from Celia Applegate, mm-hmm. wonderful German historian who became my undergraduate advisor. And I consider her a really good friend and a really important mentor to me on, on that trajectory. And from there, I, I got into German history and uh, the rest is history. Uh, no, we can cut that part. So we, <laughs> no, no, no that was, that's too good. No, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Man. We're yeah. going to leave that in. We're going <laughs> to leave that in. So we, yeah. uh, so then, yeah. So then I went on uh, and studied under Roger Chickering as I got more into looking at uh, civil society and civic organizations that uh, led me into thinking about the environment and transitioning to more of a focus on environmental history. So, all right. So I was going to say, before we, before we jump into uh, how you got into the environment, tell us about, you know, what kind of house did you grow up in? We, uh, oh. we, we like knowing like, you know, where, where people come from. We want details, yeah. man. What'd your folks yeah. do? What, what I, uh, siblings? So my, my, yeah. My, uh, my mom's nurse. And then she started teaching practical nursing at a vocational school. And my brother did go into the Navy. Uh, he went right in after high school and has then gone on to, uh, work in federal law enforcement. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So is he, he older? He's younger. He's younger, younger than me. Okay. He, he got married like 21, uh, house, kids, mortgage, right? The whole thing be- while I was in grad school. <laughs> so he talks to me like he's yeah. an older brother. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, he became an adult really quick. <laughs> yeah. Real yeah. fast. Real you call fast. him up and he's like, hey, uh, dude, what kind of life insurance policy do you have? Yeah, for real though, right? Like, <laughs> talking to me about interest rates. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, we grew up on the wrong side of the canal, as a, as we would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, pretty tiny house and just making my way through school. Uh, I don't think anyone would have pegged me to be a future PhD history guy. So, yeah. But was there any time there when you're a kid that, that something like with history piqued your interest, you know, movies or going somewhere or what? I was, uh, I was into Boy Scouts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we've all done that. And, yeah. and, you know, we're in various stages of recovery. So, That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they had, what was it, like a monthly magazine called Boy's Life or something? Yeah, Boy's like Life, that. right. And it would have articles every once in a while, mm-hmm. history articles. And those were the ones I really enjoyed. And that's that's how it kind of got me started in that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you, did, how, how, was, far, how far did you go in scouting? Eagle Scout. Really? Yeah. Okay, wow. all right. We're, 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 we're going to do this. How old yeah. were you when you got your Eagle Scout? Oh boy, right just just before I turned 18. I was wow. really good at procrastinating. So, so yeah. but you stayed in that long through high school. I did. Yeah, wow. I did. And um, see, I I dropped it. I dropped it life in high school. Yep. That's uh, that's where all my buddies yeah. dropped out. Yeah. And my mother was like, oh no, 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 no. You're gonna you're gonna get sticking eaten. it out, huh? <laughs> You know what? We've we've had a lot of people who have either been Eagle Scouts or people who've write who write about scouting. We, yeah. There's a definite scouting connection. No, uh, there to, is to the podcast here. Yeah. No, I, I got I got mine when I was 14 or 15. I can't remember which now, but I wanted to get. I went to the 1981 Scout Jamboree and oh, yeah. I wanted to get it before I went to that. 
And nice. so I really rushed to, you know, I'm, I'm sure I got a pass on my weak ass, you know, Eagle Scout project or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I think I dug a trail or something. Whatever. Right? Was, I don't know. Yeah. No, not to get too into it, but every once in a while I have this fantasy of, you know, cause I do Vietnam stuff, but I have this fantasy of going to the national boy scout headquarters. And I think it's in Irving, Texas. I think it's in Texas. And, yeah. And, and throwing my Eagle scout medal over the wall at the building. But it passes, it passes. I'm not that. Into, yeah. Every you know. once in a while though, every once in a while. It'll <laughs> right? kick yeah. I was, uh, I worked at a summer camp um, and that's where I made a lot of close friends. And I think yeah. that's probably what kept me in is every yeah. summer I go off to this oh, camp. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I remember going to camp Bob Harden in North Carolina with a name like Camp Bob Harden, you can imagine what we called it um, as, <laughs> as, as Boy Scouts. This is asking, this is asking for it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah as, as, oh, you know, as 13 and 14 year olds running around with that thing. Um, yep. So, yeah. Yep. So you you go to Georgetown. Uh, for people not in, in German history, they may not know Roger Chickering. Um, you know, it's really big deal in uh, in history. And at the time that you were you were thinking about going there, he was kind of Mr. Total War, right? Like he had written the, the right. series on Total War. Um, how did you shift into the environment? I know you, you talked about organizations, but, you know, Roger, Roger isn't kind of the typical person you would think about producing somebody who's going to go on to do environmental history. No. He, he would, I think he would identify himself as a cultural historian and okay. worked a lot on 19th century uh, German cultural history. And that led him into looking at the First World War, which became um, his major focus. And when I was working under him, he was finishing his big book on, on the city of Freiburg during the First yeah. World War as his um, way of approaching the idea of total history. Yeah, uh, And I'd always been fascinated by the First World War. So um, that had piqued my interest. And I really didn't know what I was doing when I first got to grad school. I had no idea what my, my interests were. I, I, have, I can't even remember what I proposed going there. Some, something about German nationalism, probably. And um, he helped me become a far more sophisticated thinker about um, the German past and evaluating uh, the developments there. Uh, and what he had suggested to me was looking at this Alpine organization, who if you've ever gone to the Alps, they're the ones who built the lodges and cleared the trails, that sort of thing. They're still in existence. And they had formed back in the 1860s. And it was, it turned out, I thought, oh, I don't know if that's lodges, trails. Uh, but then when I took a closer look at the organization, it turns out it was fraught with all kinds of arguments and disagreements, which of course makes it really interesting for historians. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't really known much about the First World War in the Alps, uh, but this organization was pretty pivotal in supplying soldiers and educating soldiers and acting as guides. And it was there that they spoke so much about the beauty of the landscape and how, how sharpening that was for the damage done by the war. And that led me to thinking about the environment. Okay. I, was, I was really fortunate that at Georgetown's also John McNeil, who mm -hmm. is an environmental historian and was also instrumental in, in my development you know, as a young scholar. Now, I remember, so I read your book back when it came out. Our books came out around the same time, uh, both yeah. with Chapel Hill. And I remember talking to you, you dealt with, you went to a lot of like little private archives 
Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, so you're basically going to these mountaineering associations asking to look at their private papers. What what kind of I mean, what was that like? I mean, I, I picture like all these guys walking around with with massive beards um, and, and you're just kind of like sitting off in, in a room to the side. That's that's kind of like what it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was kind of like that. Um, let's see. I did that research back in the early 2000s and most of it was in Munich at the private archive of the, the German Alpine Association. Okay. And at that time, they hadn't really systematically set up the archive. It was basically boxes in a room. And I would get there and they would say, oh, yeah, just go back and get the box that you want. <laughs> <laughs> now, initially when I got there, because they also have a little library where folks can come and check out books or plan their hikes sort of thing. And they said, yeah, we're open Tuesdays and Thursdays, two to four. So that's when you can come and do your research. And I thought, oh, it's going to take me years. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were, they were so generous there. They said, no, 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 we're, we're here nine to five. So just come when you're, we're here and, and we'll give you the access. Uh, but it really was me sitting in a room and uh, these, you know, wizened mountain climbers <laughs> around the table, uh, just kind of going through documents. I do remember they were all excited because I was the first, quote unquote, international scholar uh, yeah. to work <laughs> in the archive. So they they took my picture, you know, an action shot with with documents spread in front of me and me, you yeah. know, looking, pondering <laughs> right so somewhere i must be in that archive uh but it was it was incredible uh that i it was it was like that that i could just go back and and look at these documents and pick my way through them did you send them a copy of the book when it came out i did thank yeah. you i was gonna say uh, that's, that book has got to be in that library now right yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah i most certainly did they were wonderful they well let's carry forward with that a little bit you know, military history, we, we, Brian and I, we approach it as a big tent. We've had a lot of people on who, you know, we, we wouldn't consider traditional military historians. And, and I think, you know, probably such as yourself, but there aren't a lot of military historians doing environmental history, although I think there's more than there used to be. Uh, it, it's starting to catch on, I think. Yeah. And there's a lot of good work to be done there. But when you talk about environmental history of the First World War, you know, what, what, are the, what are the basics that, that we should, as historians, know about this experience? So from, from my perspective and, and what I've seen in my work is I think when, when we say the environmental history of the First World War, mm -hmm. automatically everyone's going to think about no man's land, the trenches, that devastation that happens there in, in France and in, in Belgium and along that whole trench system. What I found is that it's a little bit of a red herring in a sense because we look at that, but those lands uh, recovered pretty quickly uh, for what we would think. I mean, just this utter devastation. And you go back, I mean, less than 10 years later and you would hardly recognize it. Veterans hardly yeah. recognize it. In fact, they would right. send letters, right, to the French government saying, uh, we, can't, we can't get to where Find we it. want to go because it's so overgrown. That being said, there's still bombs coming up, right? There are billions of shells that were fired, and these things are still coming to the surface. Yeah, and don't some, they still employ the French and Belgian government still employ demolition teams that still oh, yeah. working? Work oh, they areas? are. Uh, I hung out with some of them back in 2014, and they took me to their their processing place where they had all these shells, like hundreds and hundreds of shells. Right that they have to go through and designate what type of shell it is, if it's still dangerous, if it's a gas shell that still has gas in it. Amazing and dangerous, incredibly dangerous work. Wow, but yeah. in going through some of those lands, 
farmers who would come across these shelves would just simply set them out by the roadside and, you know, give a call or something saying, oh, yeah, that shell's out there. Swing by and pick it up whenever. <laughs> yeah. So and some 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 lands there, the red zones where there's no you can't, you know, trek through it. You can't farm it. It's just right. too, too littered with shells. Yeah. But yeah, those lands required, uh, sorry, they, um, um, they were restored pretty quickly, grew back really quickly. Farming picked back up faster than most economists had anticipated in thinking about world economy and how those markets were shaping up. To me, the more environmental changes were taking place away from the battle lines. So in the industrial agriculture that was employed to feed these huge armies, the intensification of industrial output of, of military machines. Uh, so that's where I see the big environmental changes taking place just because of the massive amount of extraction of natural resources that's happening around the world. And, and I think, you know, when I think about the environmental history of, of the First World War, the tendency is to go to what you mentioned first, looking at, uh, you know, uh, unexploded, um, you know, uh, armaments and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I read your um, one of the NEH abstracts that you had and you start talking about like, you know, power, what's the word you, you've got some fancy word there for like, you know, the flow of power and energy through oh, communities yeah. and all this kind of there stuff. You. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, okay, this is a lot more than, than I thought about. I mean, just, you know, feeding, you know, that many troops and, and all the concentrations of, of equipment. I imagine, you know, like you said, there's, there's ways that this in that the environmental impact was there that we haven't even begun to, to realize. And don't you think too, Tate, like I'm thinking of, I, I read something recently, I can't remember where it was at, but it was on uh, in the UK, you know, during the war, they increased mining of all sorts, but mainly coal mining. I mean, they, they yeah. you know, just had, because they, they had to, to keep up with, you know, the power needs to, to run the factories and things like that. Right. But they, right. they dug all these mines, you know, dropped all these shafts and stuff. And then later on, they shut down you know, probably after World War II, if they made it that long. But now they're having a problem with, because now that people have built, you know, housing estates and whatnot on top of these things. And and every once in a while, I guess, you know, these things fill up with water and they'll explode. I mean, they'll... They'll yeah. blow up the, the water and it will cause these these pretty significant flooding events. And they, they don't know. I think they don't know where some of them are even at. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's still here we are over 100 years later. And, you know, it's still that sort of thing is still with us. It's still with us. It's still with us. So that that environmental footprint of the war hasn't hasn't yeah. gone away. Yeah. yeah. It's not, and it's not right. As you point out, it's not just limited to old shells coming up out of the soil. I think the 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 interesting thing uh, before we take our our faux break, you know, you you got into this at a time when you know when this book comes out, like you know, 10, 15 years from now, you're going to kind of be one of the old timers of environmental military history. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I might already be. One of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was it was Richard Tucker who was really at the forefront of this. Ed Russell. And many of us after them who, who saw the work that they were doing and thought this is really, really neat stuff. And it, I like it because it can take, you know, conflicts that, that many of us are familiar with and, and give a different spin to it or a different way of, of thinking about it, yeah. right? It's not just 
filling a little niche, you know, because there's so, so much written about First World War or the American Civil War is another example. There's been a lot of great work done by environmental historians looking yeah. at that. So really familiar topics for probably a lot of our listeners, uh, but then an entirely different way to think about, think about those conflicts. Okay. I have a real quick unrelated question. This is yeah. totally out of the blue. My wife wanted me to ask you this because I told her that you were at Rhodes. And Jennifer is the registrar at Wofford College. Road, they see Rhodes as an aspirant, I think. And it may oh. be peer. I'm not sure. Anyway, so I'm going to put you on the spot because you're a department uh, chair. Here we go. Rhodes uses Workday oh, as, its, as its right management mm -hmm. system, right? They're considering we, Workday. We are in the but, process of switching over to it. So you're in the process of switching over to it. From what? Uh, banner web. From Banner yeah, Which that's is what just we're on. Useless. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 It's no longer being supported. So it's right. Just... So you guys haven't shoot. So you're in the process of shifting over. A very painful process. Because yeah. she's she's leaning toward work day. No, no. I would say no. No. no? I... Wow. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Hard no. <laughs> Hard no. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad is, I asked this. It is incredibly <laughs> intricate and it's not intuitive. And you have to use a, a lot of, you know, really specific requests in order to get the information that you want. That's what we're finding so far. Interesting. I mean, it's a very sophisticated program once you're able to, to know all the, the ins and outs of it. Right. But apparently it was really developed for like, you know, Fortune 500. Yeah, it's for business. Companies. So, 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 dear listeners, what we're talking about is 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 a management system for university yeah. that's similar to what business uses, and this can cover everything from student registration for courses all the way to human resources, payroll, all that's these right. things, and everything in between. That's uh, right. So, do you know? Do you have a uh, remember what whatever what else uh, Rhodes considered? Oh, I don't remember because I think I was on leave. Oh, that's a good time and to be on leave. Yeah. I did yeah. not follow those conversations. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. And I can't remember what led us to work day. I think it was our chief information officer at the time mm -hmm. who said, this would be great. And the moment we then invested in it, he left for greener pastures. So oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> we're all, we're, yeah. Yeah. Great guy. great guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, for everyone, remember there's a disclaimer at the beginning of this thing. So Tate is giving his own view, not yeah. this is my, my personal opinion. Personal opinion. Uh, no, I don't want to, I don't want you getting any trouble, man. But I but no, I will, no, I will my, certainly my personal opinion. I will certainly pass this on. Man, Brian Jennifer's not doing too well. Remember, you know, Sylvie, I said that that you know she she doesn't care for stinging the police, and every time they come on, she turns yeah. the the XM radio button, turns them off, and and Sylvie <laughs> was was highly offended. <laughs> and now she's she wants workday and tate's going ah, I don't yeah so. she's so, yeah you're right but, she's, yeah, she's going she's to her she's on strike two right now Ooh, it's it's yeah it's uh you know anytime you make a switch from one system to the other when you've been a faculty member for a long time and yeah. <laughs> you know for some of our my more senior colleagues this is alarming for them well you know so yeah. many of us i mean not not to belabor this because we need to move on but i mean most of us don't even use Banner. I mean, we, 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 we see that front page and we don't even know that's what it is, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. it's my Georgia Southern or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. So you don't even yeah. know what's going on. And you, right. you have to be deep in administration or, or you know, registrar or finance or, you know, sometimes the department chair getting in, you know, with things. You, you got to deal with it yeah. some. But And these things cost, 
I mean, they're millions of dollars. It's a heavy yeah, investment, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, but you got to have it. Yeah. You I mean, got to have thing. something. That's we, thing. You got to have we, it. We, we, some of the faculty, when I say we, had, had inquired, maybe, maybe this isn't going to work out for us and we should look at something else. But by that point, we were too far in. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. put in too much money to, to change course. All right. Probably, Thank you for your a couple of years. It'll be different, but yeah. right now it's... let's take our break, Brian. It's pretty. It's certainly a pretty campus. And I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate because I work with some pretty outstanding people. Yeah, it looks it looks like it's a it's a good place to be. How did you end up there? Was that your first thing? What, what, what was Sheer luck. No, yeah. I, 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 I tap danced around from adjunct position to adjunct position okay. for a little bit. And then I got a two year position up at Towson in northern Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And then this ad for Rhodes came up late. And it was originally a three year postdoc looking for an environmental historian. Uh, and it was really broad. It was a broad search. And I didn't think after looking at at the department, I'm like, oh, they're not gonna, they're not gonna hire me. And somehow I just was very fortunate. And yeah. then the postdoc uh, was able to be converted into a tenure line. Um, so it was an incredible stroke of luck, I think. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well done. And you can, uh, we can put that in there if you want to move it around, Bill, because that's. Uh, no, I'm going to leave, yeah, I'm gonna, leave I've, it in I've there. Just, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I should have said, let's start again. Yeah. Because, that, yeah, that's fine. Because that, It'll, it'll, that dovetails in. Uh, I tell you what, let's Brian, let's switch the questions. Okay. Because then I can dovetail that in real good. Okay. So we'll yeah do uh, do. Hey, you're discovering now. You, you, you are going to be just just thrilled with the magic of editing when we. I, I will be. Yeah, <laughs> you, be. Yeah. you are just going to be like, <laughs> how did those clowns do that? Um, I mean, already you got the headphones and everything. I, I'm, I'm, hey, I was already. We impressed. got we got fancy hey, look, ass microphones and everything. Wow. We, we look. Our 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 mantra is one: any jackass can do a podcast. Yes. Yeah. But, but two, um, as long as you look like you know what you're doing, yeah, like, half the battle. Yeah, I, I, got, I mean, I got a soundboard back there, Tate. Yeah, he's We're got a soundboard. <laughs> it's not plugged in or anything. It's not plugged it, in. It looks good, but there it is. Right? There, there it is, is man. <laughs> All the trappings of yep. what one you, you should get a student in there, Brian, one time to just sit there and act sit like, there and act like they're playing with the soundboard. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. All right. Go All for right. it, Bill. Okay. Hit, that, hit right. that question. So, so Tate, uh, you do a lot of stuff with off-campus experiential learning, uh, things like that, and study abroad as well. Tell us about some of your study abroad stuff you've done, and yeah. you know what, what really has worked for you. And of course, if any of it involves military history of any fashion. Yeah, um, Rhodes has what they call Maymesters, these short um, two-week or four-week programs that okay. immediately follow the end of the spring semester. And so when I was brought on by Rhodes, one of the one of my service uh, uh, expectations was that I would be involved oh. in developing an environmental studies program. Uh, so I was one of three postdocs who came in to do that. Other person was in our international studies department. The third was in anthropology and sociology. Uh, so we developed that program. And as part of that program, one of the main masters is a trip to Namibia. And it's looking at um, environmental developments and issues in Southern Africa. Uh, and the students tour around Namibia for uh, four weeks. 
weeks. I think it's a four week program. And I, wow. I managed to get myself onto that. <laughs> At some point I had, uh, I had chaired that program uh, as a junior faculty member. I wouldn't recommend that to any of our listeners oh, yeah. <laughs> doing that. Um, but I was able to, you know, find a seat in uh, as chair to go over there and see what it was all about. And it was incredible. Uh, I'd never been to Africa before. And this is my first experience touring around Namibia. And to circle it back to um, a military history question, uh, one of the places we went to was where the battle between the Herero and uh, the German expeditionary forces took place. Oh, fascinating. Uh, yeah. Wow. And it was, and I had, uh, not realized that there were, you know, there were still German descendants living in Namibia, mostly mm -hmm. in the cities. And I found it really interesting hearing their narratives about that conflict uh, compared to uh, narratives that I, I learned about it here in the States. So that was, that was pretty interesting as well. Nice. Yeah. Wow. And for that experiential learning part, there hadn't been any environmental history courses here when when I arrived. So it was an open slate for me to develop some. So I developed a global environmental history course that I'm still kind of tweaking. Uh, and I thought, well, if it's environmental, let's get out. <laughs> let's get out of the classroom. Yeah. And I, I thought, well, if science courses can have labs, why can't history courses have labs, as I, as I called it, uh, which was really just a way to find a common time for all of us to go somewhere. So I take students to a, a local state park where we go hiking. Um, I take us to uh, the local archive to go through old pictures of how the city developed, looking at it from an urban mm -hmm. standpoint. Uh, I think my favorite is that I take them to a wastewater treatment plant, which is horrible and wonderful at the same yeah. time um, to see the engineering behind all that and how that works. Um, yeah, so that's 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 been a really cool course for me. Uh, there's also here in Memphis, there are um, mounds from the indigenous tribes, the Choctaw and the Chickasaw mm -hmm. that used to live here. So we were able to go tour those mounds as well. Uh, so there's a lot of cool components. Yeah, that sounds. Uh, you know, I wish I wish we had the, you know, those kinds of opportunities. It's require, it requires work, is the issue, as you know. I mean, it's a lot yeah. for the instructor and I mean, and you're, support. You're, yeah, and you got to have the support. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these things sound great, and then when you start trying to put it together, as well, you know, you're like, "Oh man, what have I got myself into?" <laughs> yeah, and it takes it takes a lot of juggling because some of the community partners can do it, and some can't do it, or schedules change. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, you your current project um, project you've been working on for for a while now is a global environmental history of the First World War. Anytime you put that word global in there, you know, I kind of I do the little scowl uh, yeah. look down because like, I teach, for example, a world history class. Uh, wow. I tell students on the first day, if you think that you're going to, you know, if this is world history, you're 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 in for for a surprise because no one can teach world history in 15 weeks cannot right. be done. Right. So what what have been the biggest challenges associated with with doing something um, that that is an attempt to be a global history? Yeah, when I you know, when I. I first started this project, I was looking around and I thought, wow, they're not, they're not that many global histories of the war. And then I got into the project. I'm like, oh, for good reason. <laughs> These things are so much work, right? It's, it's so, so much. And you have to, you have to be willing to make compromises that you didn't think you would ever. Right. 
I almost consider this is still at the back of my mind for, you know, starting the acknowledgements or introduction as in some ways, this is a book that's calculated to disappoint you because you'll go <laughs> looking for something in there. Do you know what's happening in this corner of China that he taught you? Know, and I'm like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> just, so just, it, just, just change the title. Just, you know, the subtitle can be a slightly less than global history. Of, <laughs> right. <laughs> An attempt, right. At, at some of it. But not so much. <laughs> yeah. The, the hardest point or the, you know, the most challenging aspect uh, for me is, of course, the, the languages, right? How do you, how sure, do you yeah. make your way around that? This is often the first question I get asked about. How do you make your way around that? And I sort of fumble bumble my, my way through it because in, in some ways the book is more of a synthesis than it is archival work. So Well, it kind of by its nature kind of has to be, right? Has to be, right. Yeah. Has right? To be. I mean, has that's a choice you make. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've I've gone poking around in archives in in India and Africa and throughout Europe in the U.S. and a little bit in South America, but largely it's going to have to rely on on secondary sources, just as you say sure. by, the, by the very nature of it, and also also making a piece with the fact that it's it's global in terms of I'm looking around the world, but I'm certainly not going to be able to incorporate the entire world. Into, I mean that's just impossible. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I think. Um, so, you can you can bet you get this thing done it's gonna be used in people's classes um because i don't know of any other global history of the in the environment in the first world war yeah so i mean that's that's uh you know something to look forward to how robust is that field and and i'm asking that just as from a position of ignorance Uh, i mean of of environmental history for, for for world war one Oh, for World War One, yeah. I think it continues to be robust, and I'm I'm excited about um, the younger scholars who are coming out of grad school or you know the past ten years or so. Who oh, are, dude, preach, man! Right with Vietnam, you know, who, you know, what I do. I mean, I mean stuff such doing. exciting stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Because I've I've also found that you know at some conferences when you're talking about the First World War, sometimes it's a you know, it's this the same kind of questions that have been asked for the for the past 50 years or so. Yeah. Um, and kind of getting kind of getting stuck in that rut and not not to disparage that. I mean, these are yeah. questions to which there's still not answers. So there's there's all kinds of ways to approach it. But I think the the new scholarship that's coming out is, is really exciting. What do you think, Bill? We got 15 um, minutes. Yeah, I think that's enough time to bother him with some rapid fire. Sure. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Have you listened to any, Tate? Have you listened to any of these? I meant to. I meant to. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is going to be good because you don't you don't know what's coming your way. <laughs> oh, be- that 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 deer in the headlight <laughs> look on his face. He, come on, Bill. He Christ forgot it. he was doing he, this this morning. Yeah. He was <laughs> like, <laughs> I had it on my uh, calendar. Just yeah, you know, we're, we haven't yeah, started yet. I still so have you guys minutes. talked with uh, what's his name? You know about the thing that was. Well, yeah. that was really interesting. No, he had, <laughs> he was on it, man. It's great. <laughs> hey, I can't. I got to be honest though. I mean, how many times have I done that with a student? They shoot me an email and it's like, are we meeting on Zoom today? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm getting on. And then it's like, you know. I act like I completely didn't forget that we had that meeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so since you're a uh, rookie, Kate, and haven't listened to any of this, mm-hmm. uh, what we do is, is we ask you 10 questions. Uh, we call this rapid fire. It's really not okay. that rapid because uh, Brian and I like to stop and comment, judge, things like that. Sure, sure. And so um, so we'll, we'll see how you do. Brian will ask you a couple of questions, and I will ask you a couple of questions. 
So Brian, go. Recommend a book that you read recently that is not related to, to history. So, you know, what are you reading for pleasure right now that you'd like to recommend? I'm reading The Tender Bar that I heard on, a, on another podcast that uh, was, <laughs> I think there's an Amazon, Amazon movie with Ben Affleck. Uh, and I thought, oh, like I was listening to it. And it's about this, the, the author who had grown up in his uncle's bar kind of, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I related to that because my, my uncle had in fact owned a, a little tiny dive bar in upstate New York. Uh, and so I picked up that book because I want to, I want to read the book before I even consider watching the movie. It's kind of yeah. like Stuart Mitchell, man. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say you yeah. should have you should have told in, us that you grew in diapers up in bars. at the pub. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I learned to play pool, you know, it's all these kind of roughneck sort of guys that were there. Kind yeah. of fine tune your appreciation for PBR. Man. That's yeah, it. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. I like it. <laughs> all right. Um, best uh, history book that you've read recently? Oh, okay. Best history book that I've read recently. Actually, it was a, I teach a course on disease and epidemics, and um, this is a book by Alan Kraut about immigration and disease. Hmm. Um, Silent Travelers, I think is what it, it's actually. An, it's an older book, but it's the students love it, and I find it fascinating too when he's talking about immigrants coming over to the U.S. Uh, and how that gets connected to various diseases and how that ties into U.S. nativism that's going on at God, the how time. How timely, um, right? Those yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And that's called so that Silent one, silent Travelers? Silent Travelers. Yeah. Yep. That's that's what it's called. Okay. But why, do you, why, do you, why do you think the students have gravitated toward it? It is timely. Uh, there's He has a chapter about Ellis Island and what happens to folks when they arrive at Ellis Island and have to go through these various medical right. checks. And these checks, these medical examinations are different depending on the class of ticket that you have. Yeah. And he's got, you know, he's got these images of people getting their eyelids flipped open, yeah. you know, to, to look at it. And for students, this is, this is for a lot of them, this is entirely new. And like, Oh my gosh, look at this. That's going on. I'm like, yeah, look right. at this. That's going on. Wow. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Tate, uh, this is uh, my favorite question of season two that Brian came up with. You get to listen to only one band or singer for the rest of your life. Who is it? Ooh. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm, 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 I think I might go with Journey. <laughs> oh, wow. Journey. That's our first Journey. Shout wow. out, man. I yeah. might go with Journey. <laughs> Coming to a state fair near you. Wow. Yes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Cause you can, yeah, you can catch them. That's not a high price ticket. Now you can go see them no, anytime but, you want, man. But, man classic I'm like, I'm like the Blink-182 tickets, right? So this is going back to me in the nineties. Those tickets are like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. So we haven't yeah. had, we haven't had a Boston one either. Right. Oh, no one has no. said Boston. Boston. No, but journey. Okay. Good. Boston. Yeah. Let's feel good music. Yeah. Feel you know, good music yeah. and yeah, I, I, it's all right. I guess yep. so. Yeah. I guess that's the one I would go yeah. with. I mean, you talk, yeah, just FM radio, corporate rock, man. It's it, right? right? Yeah. Yep. That's what I grew up on, you know? Uh, so, yeah. No, a absolutely. There's a reason it's popular because a lot of people like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's all right. Okay. What do you, what do you, what do you binge watch? The last one I binge watched was Murders in the Building, a Hulu show with. Okay. With we've Steve had a couple say that. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. Yeah. I got into it. I got into it. It's kind of a little bit of a, a slow start, but the characters are hilarious and. It's, it's well written. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's, 
that kind of the, res- the 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 resurrection of Selena Gomez, right? Yeah, who is hilarious. Really? Okay. Oh yeah, just just fabulous. This is what Generation Z or whatever dealing with these, you know, old Steve Steve Martin Martin Short. It's right. Fabulous. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, uh, be on the lookout. Uh, one of my colleagues came in yesterday and was like, oh, man, are you excited about All Quiet on the Western Front? And I, I was like, oh, I've seen the trailer. Netflix is putting out German language, German done, All Quiet on the Western Front on no October kidding. 28th. Yeah. Oh, wow. The trailer, the trailer is uh, is pretty. I mean, it, it looks like it, there are going to be parts of it that are hard to watch, you know, like people getting drowned in, yeah. in mud puddles and yeah. those productions yards. are amazing. I mean, Brian, you and I have talked about uh, Babylon Berlin. Yeah which oh, I just thought yeah. was amazing. I did um, too. Um, right? And yeah, I those, started those productions are great. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Incredibly well done. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the, and they're expensive. I mean, that's the thing. You know, they're right. making on people watching them because they are yeah. pouring millions into them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's another recent one that I saw? It's about a, a woman who is in the Stasi, I think. Or was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A Cleo. Yes. Cleo. I loved yep. it. Cleo yeah, Brian great. loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I loved that show. It was great. Hmm. Okay, so Tate, you uh, your research took you to uh, to Munich, and then Rachel, the Rachel Carson Center is based in Munich as well, right? Yep. So you've yes. done uh, you've done a lot of time in in uh, in Bavaria. Um, what is your Bavarian beer of choice? Oh, it's a uh, Tegernsee Tegernsee beer. Really? Yep. I was not expecting that. Yep. Tegernsee. Okay. It's a uh, that- you know this the the Tegern Lake. So it's this, you know this lake that's south of Munich, and they got a a brewery there. So it's you know it's a smaller one, but Tegernsee is the one I'd go with. Okay, that's a that, that's a that's a good one. I'm not sure I've ever had it to be completely honest. Um, Tasty. Tasty. I, take, take the train down to Tegernsee. It's gorgeous. Sit out on a patio and enjoy. Okay. All right. Um, must know Krav Maga technique. Uh, front kick to the groin. That's the one Easy. that you want to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. The front kick to the groin. That's the Krav Maga. The only rule is you go home safe. So. Right. That's what I was going to say when I was reading about it, when I was getting ready for this, it said essentially nothing's off the table with Krav Maga because the goal is just survival. Yep. Yep. Um, so, so tell me this. Um, I have two daughters and uh, I have a wrestling background. Oh, yeah. um, so I have, I have, you know, from the very early age, I've, I've kind of tried to train them of, of things they can do. And, and what yeah. I've told them is if someone does get on top of them, if they have a free hand that they should just repeatedly punch them in the throat. Yep. Is that a good move? Yep. Okay. All right. Yep. yep. And I said, because I'm at sure. that point, you're probably dead anyway. So don't worry about offending the person. Just try to Just, knock their windpipe out. Yep. Do that okay. or eye strikes because you can't can't make, make your eye any stronger. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So right. Just right in the eye. Yeah. It's kind okay. of just a gelatinous bulb there Blob, yep. yeah. right yep. yeah okay good good to know you can be any super superhero who is it mm, 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 mm. now let me while you're thinking when bill because bill uh posed this question he this is his edition i said you know well what counts as a superhero yeah so i think we're pretty liberal in terms of like what we consider to be a superhero right Yes, like it doesn't yeah. have to be a marble. No, as broad tent as we are with what we think military history is, we will be just as broad tent with, uh, right, super, with, uh, with superhero super- dumb. Yeah. I, I keep leaning towards Batman for some reason. I'm uh, I'm leaning towards the Dark Knight, I guess. That's incredibly disappointing. 
He's got, yep. He's got, <laughs> see, I grew up with that. I grew up watching Adam West and all that, like on TV, <laughs> yeah. right? So that's really the only one I knew because, because the super, the, the Superman show was off the air by that. Right. Point. But then the I'm movies like, came out a little later. Yeah. When I was a kid. So I'd, I'd probably, I guess Batman is probably the one I'm most familiar with. Yeah. I guess. I think either Batman or maybe Incredible Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> just because just because that's he, that's an interesting choice for a department chair <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it's i'm like don't get me angry <laughs> yeah i like that i am a trained sure, killer sure on top of that, like yeah. no 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 you don't want to go in there right now we're gonna keep it going so it's gonna okay be, it's in be about an incredible minutes. hulk listening to journey it's gonna right. pulls it all together. Steve Perry. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great. Okay, I, I'm interested. I'm intrigued by this one. Uh, how many times have you been to Graceland? Twice. I've been there. In how many 20. years? How many? How many? How long you been there? Since 2008. Okay. So since since 2008, I've been there twice. Um, one, it's pretty expensive, actually. The ticket that you have to yeah, buy. Yeah. And it's uh so the house is there's a road that you know one of the major roads goes through and then the house is on one side at up top of the little hill and then on the other side if you haven't been there. Yeah. Um that's where like the visitor center is. They got the airplanes. The, they still have the airplanes. There. Yeah. Planes, right. Which is an additional ticket by the by. Yeah, of course. Of course um, it is. Yeah. So what you have to do is you load onto a little bus that drives you across the street up to the to the mansion which is right. really kind of a bigger house um, and they tour you through it, but only the first floor. Only the first the floor. Hmm. Only the first floor because no one wants to take people up to the second floor for them to take pictures of the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I would imagine when people come visit you in Memphis that that's someplace they want to go, right? Yeah. And um, and that's the reason why I've gone <laughs> I was just say, so the one time was you, right? And the second time yeah. you were taking yeah. somebody. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's all right. Because like, if any if any Germans ever come visit you in Memphis, I can imagine them being like, we are going to go to Graceland. <laughs> we're going to Graceland. I'm like, yeah, we are. Get your, get your camera phones ready. I'll tell you what, man. I mean, it's there, a trippy house. It's, yeah, it's no, there, there's, there is some, some uh, legit shag carpet in that house. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, just yeah. totally legit. Just totally. And I love the thing that where he had the three TVs. So yes. You could watch all the football games, you know, at one time. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, it's worth seeing. It's worth yeah, seeing. Absolutely. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Two part question here. And a lot of this you have, you've, you've accumulated these since I knew you. I yeah. think when I met you back in the day, you were tattooless. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it so takes how, like what what have, what have I accumulated? Wait, so so how many tattoos do you have now, and what is your favorite one? Let me think. Because we can see it sticking out. Yeah, of your sleeve see one on your sleeve. sleeve. Yeah, it's yeah. no secret. I got them all up and down my arms, some on my back, on my side. 14, 15. Wow, something like that. Um, I've gotten them in different places I've gone to. So I got a couple in South oh, Africa. Okay. And my favorite one is a rose that I have that I had done in India. Um, and it was a rose that was in like a 1875 botany book, something like that. And I got it on the, the inside of my, my forearm. And they just did a really great job with it, especially oh, with the, the yeah. splash of reds that, that are there. Um, so I, that's my favorite one. Nice. 
Very and you've nice. got is so on Facebook. There's a picture of like three women. Is that on? Is that you or is that somebody else's? That's yours. That's me. Yep. Okay. It was a it was a cover up because my very first tattoo I got in 1996 in Tampa, Florida, and it's the ugliest tribal armband tattoo that you've yes. ever seen. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a series of bad decisions, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, many <laughs> that led me to Tampa, Florida in the summer of 1996. Yeah. 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 Well, well, Tate, if it makes you feel any better, I still to this day have a green dragon on my ankle that I got in 1995 as a 17-year-old. There you so, go. Uh, yeah. Right? There yep. you go. So, yeah. And uh, it will be covered at some point, but uh, my wife is not interested in the money that that costs. Cause as you know, tattoos are no longer inexpensive. It is not cheap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my armband was. <laughs> yeah. It, I think my dragon was like 75 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, maybe I paid a hundred bucks for this, this armband, but no, significantly more yeah. expensive. All right, um, since since you have not listened to the show, this is <laughs> going to be uh, a question that um, you know you won't know that we we ask this every single time. Bill's from Texas. I'm from upstate South Carolina. We yep. both uh, are barbecue connoisseurs of oh. sorts. Uh, Bill uh, favors brisket. Uh, I favor pork because yep. of our upbringings um yeah. so for you as a man who now lives in memphis tennessee that's right what do you uh migrate towards is it barbecue or pork uh i migrate towards uh the pork memphis is a big big pork place yeah. i mean you can get brisket here but yeah pork ribs pork, right pork, pork, pork ribs, ribs king. yeah yep in the rub okay in so the rub. So where, what is your go-to place in Memphis if you want barbecue? Because I'm sure that there are literally a jillion of them. Oh yeah, this comes a whole like discussion. But where I would take folks is the barbecue shop, which is uh, in what's called Midtown Memphis, just a couple miles east of downtown. Mid, yeah, yeah, the barbecue shop. All right, and, and, barbecue uh, shop. Yeah, and that's the second place, um, like a very close second is Central Barbecue. I think I've heard right. of that. Yeah, Central Barbecue. Um, that's also Midtown. The one where I would not take people to—that's the one that gets all the the press—is Rendezvous. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. One of the most tourist ones. That's the one that's downtown. Right. Um, but I would—that's not where I would take folks. Isn't it funny how those places they become the thing? So, like, like in you know, my my mom and my sisters all live around Austin, and you know, the big thing down there, just south of Austin, in, in Driftwood, is. Uh, you know, the salt lick, mm. you know, it's like the famous place and, you know, it's huge, it's gotten big, it's packed and, you know, they're just kind of mass producing. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, they, yeah. they, and I don't want to throw them under the bus cause they're great people and everything yeah. and they, and they know, do a yeah. great job, but, but it's also like that, it, you know, compared to what it was like 30 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's not the yeah. same. Yeah. Not, that's, not that's, yeah. It's still a good place for someone who's never been to Austin and whatever to go. Just yeah. To rendezvous do too. that. Absolutely. Do that. Yeah. You do just as good down there going to one of those Rudy's convenience store right. barbecue places. And yeah. Which are, usually and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. They're, they're consistent. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. It's now, interesting how that, how that, how that comes around. So yeah. Tate, I, I asked you years ago, you're probably not going to remember this. Uh, I saw on television this place in Memphis where this dude takes uh, chickens, he dumps them in, or he dunks them in hot sauce, fries them, takes them out, dunks them. Back. It's called like honey chicken something. Have you found this place yet? No. Isn't no, that a man. Nashville uh, thing too? Yeah. Oh, I think it is a Nashville thing too. Nashville. Nashville. 
Yeah, but this guy's like he's like dunking. I'm gonna send you a link, and you gotta you gotta go. Yeah, they're like hanging on a bar or something, right? And he just dunks them. Yeah, he dunks them in, then refries them, and then dunks them and fry. It's like multiple frying, uh, you know, process there. So, uh, yeah. Well, um, that's good. Good recommendations. There is a there is a good fried chicken place um, downtown. Gosh, what's the name of it? Why am I flaking on it? Anyway, um, if you look fried chicken in Memphis, that will pop up, and it's it's pretty good. Yeah. So what, what do you, bonus question, what do you enjoy most about living in Memphis? Um, Memphis is a fun, funky town. Any night of the week, I can go out and listen to world-class blues music. That's what I was going to ask yep. you about. Yeah. Yeah. And for like maybe a $10 cover fee, but if it's right. in the middle of the week, probably not. And right. just fabulous, fabulous music scene for the blues. Yeah. Yeah. But so. Yeah. That's now, my you've, part. You've got Rhodes there. You've got University of Memphis. Um, what other major universities you have there? There's a Christian Brothers University that's here. And there is one more um, that's escaping my mind at the moment. But those are the big three. Okay. So but, so okay. pretty good student population. Yeah. 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 There used to be uh, Memphis College of Art, which had been back in its heyday, really um, a really good place. And then financial reasons just finally took it under yeah that's like too bad well, well this has been right. fun take this is great. great it's been great uh, yeah i really thanks. enjoyed it thanks no, so much thanks, oh, thanks yeah. for doing this and and this this was a lot of fun i i really yeah this is really interesting and and your and your views on workday will be passed along yeah sure. <laughs> my uh, personal views on workday yeah you, your sh- you should uh on. you should show up at the german studies association next year it's in montreal it's not Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. It's time for me to get back in the saddle with that stuff. I've been, you know, ever since the pandemic, maybe like the year before yeah. I was, I've been off of it, the camp, the, you know, the conference circuit, but yeah. Hey, another thing I didn't tell anyone about Tate, and I think uh, he doesn't mind this. Um, he also, uh, a couple of years ago, flipped his Subaru over onto its, its lid. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and walked oh, yeah. away to tell the tale. So <laughs> not, a, not a scratch on me. Yeah. Yeah. I get, it was totally my fault. Like it was totally my fault. Um, I got T-boned as I was making a turn and the car just rolled right over. That was a first. I don't recommend it to your listeners, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not a scratch. But not the Subaru, scratch. Subaru held up well, I have to say, looking at the pictures. Yeah. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was totaled, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, maybe with a creative car guy, it might've, might not have been but yeah but you walked away is what i mean so uh i just yep crawled right out no yeah yeah, no one was hurt no one was hurt in that accident good yeah so what kind of dog was tucker he was uh he was a mutt he was chow shepherd lab jackass you know he had it all (laughs) he was was a big meathead yeah he and i got along just fine (laughs) so did you get get another one or or not not yet yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm just, I'm, I think I'm getting there. I think I'm getting. Okay. There. You know, that's yeah. interesting. Like wh- our first lab, we had Moose, um, and we had to put him down made him about 12 years, I think. And yeah, I lasted, we, we lasted about a month Yeah, and just couldn't stand it. Yep. And we're like, we got to get another one. Cause I, and of course it was summer and I was at home yeah. and you know, I'm walking around the house yelling for him. Right. Yeah. Go through that phase where you, yeah. Yep. In tune to, to that. And then of course yeah. we got uh, our Tucker black lab is, is a little ah. puppy. And um, yeah, we called him, we named him Tucker cause we picked him. We got him from a family in Raleigh Durham, which is about two and a half, whatever hours from here. We live up, we, in, we live in Spartanburg, South Carolina. 
you know, it's why Jennifer's at Wofford. So drove up there, this little family, and they had a, oh, I think a chocolate lab mother and a black lab, you know, dad. And apparently that was the first puppy to be picked from the litter. Oh, yeah. Which, which the, the, the five-year-old boy had not been briefed on oh. what was about to happen. Oh, gosh. Right. <laughs> and the poor kid just started wailing. I mean, oh, we felt so bad. It was just, right. and they, they, she, you know, the mom took him to the other room, you know, and just apologized. I'm like, no, we get it, you know, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so we get, we pick, pick the one out and, you know, driving home, you know, the poor thing, of course, just, you know, for, for like yep. 45 minutes. And then just, there was no transition. It was, that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just crashed, yep. you know. Yeah. So we were like, ah, boy, it tuckered him out. And so we yeah. Just, oh yeah. There it is. Where we got there to where it got There's him. the name. So yeah. That, that that straightforward. But but then I would call him Moose for like a year. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just amazing what we do with. with yeah. With I still have you know his leash and collar are still right. No, I've got yeah. Moose's stuff up there. Yep. On the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's hard isn't it man just, oh man it was something yeah right something. Did, did you have to put him down what 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 happened yeah he had yeah. um he had cancer uh and yeah so he had developed cancer i think we found it in that february and so we went right. on to chemo and i was initially i was like oh i can't put this dog on chemo and then the vet explained to me that chemo people and chemo dogs totally different, different things, things right totally different yeah. things yeah I was like, oh, okay because i wasn't about to put him through that Right. Um, and they, they said they could do surgery, um, cause it's mostly in his, in his, um, abdomen. And I'm like, Oh, this, this dude is 12 going on 13. I'm yeah. like, Let's, we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just give him the chemo, make him comfortable. And then August, cause they had told me, you know, people say, you know, when you know, right. Yeah. And I no, was like, it's clear. Yeah. yeah. And he, you know, one day he looked at me and I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah cause he couldn't get himself up. And I right. was like, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Gosh, so, just it's just the hardest damn thing, right? Oh, man, I mean, we just bawled and bawled. Oh, and bawled. yep, I mean, yep. Sob. Oh. I just, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then go on, get another one, right? That's yeah. That's right. it all over. Let's do it again. Time, time to do it again. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's set ourselves up for this next round. And that, that Brian, yeah. I laugh. You know, that we've talked a little bit about, like, like I'm I'm 55, and it's like, you know, how how many more dogs can I have? Yeah. You know, start start measuring your lifespan and yep. how many more dogs do you? Yeah, that's right. Know? That's right. Yeah. Which says a lot about how you think. Yep. I yeah. think. Yep. Um, yep. Right there so with that, you. That makes me feel good that I think that way. Yeah, that's right. All right, man. Hey, Thank thanks, you for man. doing this. We appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Military Historians Are People Too is produced, written, and hosted by Brian Feltman and Bill Allison. 
Music is written and performed by Bill Allison, who clearly is not BJ Lederman. Military Historians Are People Too is hosted on Anchor by Spotify. Check back soon for new episodes. Thanks for listening.